Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, January 13th, 2015. So close. Still no theme today. Although we'll, hour one kind of works, but yeah, hour, hour two doesn't exactly fit. This is a challenging time. We're inundated with heresy. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bible and actually compare what folks are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, that, of course, <laughs> assumes that the person preaching is actually trying to teach from the Word of God. And, well, now that it's the beginning of a new year, well, the prophets have come out. Um, P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Yeah, prophets. The prophets have come out to share the uh, the, the new Word of God for the, for the upcoming year. And, uh, yeah, prophets, they are indeed prophets. So what we're going to do in hour number one, and I, I almost have to apologize for what it is that we're going to be doing to start off the program here. Um, and listen, there was an internal debate within me as to whether or not to play what it is that you're going to hear to start off hour number one in its entirety. It almost made the cut as a sermon review. And then as I listened to it, um, I realized that um, I would be sending people to the emergency room with bleeding ears if I played the thing in its entirety. So I decided to have mercy on you and not do that. So you're thinking, what are you talking about? Well, um, every year at the church that Cindy Jacobs attends, she gives a kind of a pro- prophecy night sermon type thingy that she does. And the issue is, is that... Well, Cindy Jacobs, there's many issues there. Uh, most importantly is, is that she claims to be a prophet, and the stuff spewing out of her mouth is just utter nonsense, and it's self-contradictory. But the other thing is is that she has this really bad habit of raising her voice to something above screeching and and it's and shouting it's kind of in between screeching and shouting and she does it enough in this sermon that if i were to play it in its entirety like i said many of you would end up in the hospital i mean i can just see the you know the the financial liabilities at this point just stacking up so we're going to begin but it's an extended segment we're going to begin with cindy jacobs we'll be playing for you 
a huge swath of her beginning of the year prophecy update because you got to hear it. And we'll take a break. When we come back from the break, we're going to listen to an extended Stephen Furtick update. Uh huh. And then we're going to head down to the Summit Church, uh, Andre, uh, Pastor Andre, and uh, listen to his uh, sermon entitled "It's Time." And uh, the, we would consider these to be timely sermons in the sense that they're timely for you to listen to so that you uh, know the template with which to uh, identify false teaching and heresy and false prophecy. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> timely as far as a good word? Yeah, no. So, you know, listen, we've got a lot of ground to cover, but because this first segment, like I said, is so off-the-wall crazy that it absolutely boggles my mind that the place where she delivered this is a mega church. I mean, with all the state-of-the-art equipment and screens and everything else and a huge audience, I, that, that's just mind-boggling that uh, that's the type of uh, crowd that would show up to hear, you know, large numbers to hear Cindy Jacobs when, I mean, it, the woman is just patently absurd and there's no reason to believe she's a true prophet anyways. And I've debunked her stuff in the past and proven that by her own admissions she is a false prophet. But Anyway, since what you're going to hear is like over the top, I have to start with this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have despised. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done. All right, what it is that you are about to feast your ears on, <laughs> and that is the exact wrong way to describe it, uh, is uh, the latest message from the General's International. You can find this on the General's International YouTube channel, and it's entitled Cindy Jacobs' Word of the Lord for 2015. Hang on to your hats, fasten your seatbelts, hide your fuzzy bunny slippers because you don't want them to be injured in listening to this segment of Fighting for the Faith. And that's all I can say is you have been warned. Here's Cindy Jacobs and her word of the Lord for 2015. Well, I have some good news. It's going to be the turnaround year. 
That's uh, turnaround year, right? Very good news, and and I this morning I'm bringing the word of the Lord, as you know, for 2015. Not only for yeah, no, you're not. You're bringing the word of Cindy Jacobs. This isn't the word of the Lord. If there was any spirit involved, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Church, but what we say here today is going to go worldwide. Many people wait for this service from Trinity. I want to welcome those. Many people wait for this drivel. Oh my. Online as well. Many friends, people have been texting me and WhatsApping me and, you know, just letting me know you're watching. Hello. And this is a season where we are moving in to a very, very unique time. And we have something called the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. In fact, we met here. Thank you very much, Pastor, at Trinity Church this year. And uh, we have some of our own, very own, that are part of this council of prophets. And we have some that have been on for a while and some in emerging generations that we've added. Uh, Will and Haviland Ford, Gabriel, Laura, Allred, Anthony, and Melissa Medina are on that council here. And uh, so we have a part of this. And do you want to know what God is saying? Do you want to know what he's saying for you? And for your family. And how do you get through the, this year, both good and bad? Amen? Are you ready for that? Oh, man. So what is God apparently saying? It's not, we're not going to look into the Word of God, the written Word of God, to see what He's said. No, 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 no. We're going to look into the Word of God. We're not, no, sorry. We're going to look into the mind of um, <clears throat> this woman to see what He's saying. Okay, here we go. This is a turnaround year. And as we look at what the Holy Spirit is saying, it's just fascinating to to uh, share this. What I'm going to do is rather than begin with just one scripture, I've embedded a lot of scripture in it. Can you imagine taking the word from 30 prophets and trying to distill it down and tell you that word in like 35 minutes? That is a minor miracle. And then not only do you have to yell. Ah, yeah, so she's claiming that this word of the Lord, what God is saying, this is a distilled prophecy from 30 reputable prophets, you know, like you know, James Gall and Cindy Jacobs and others. Was Patricia King invited this year? But I've got the word for Trinity I want to give you, and I want to make sure that you get what you need. So I always, you know, this is one I agonize over every year. I'm always, help me, Jesus. I write my prayer partners. you got to pray for me. You know, there's always a lot of warfare around it. And I want to tell you, you know, I pay a price to give you this thing. It's, it's all, you need to pray for me more. And so anyway, but it's a, it's a great time and a great season that I'm very, very excited about. You know, uh, as I've been uh, reading the prophecies that other people have given, it's very interesting to see the spectrum. You know, some are, you know, everything is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, you have those prophets and, and, uh, and you know, which is uh, very like a lamentations kind of thing. And then you have those that are the pessimists and you have those that say, well, if anybody gives a good word for this year, they're not even a prophet, you know, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder with all of these, you say it, you call it a spectrum. I call it uh, contradictory prophecies. Uh-huh, yeah. So you got prophets out there claiming doom and gloom. And notice she said they're pessim- they are pessimistic. Uh-huh, yeah. 
the prophets are pessimistic. And then you've got other people, well, you know, it's a double portion, double, double for your trouble, blessing kind of uh, year. And uh, and it seems to me that all of these quacks out there claiming to receive prophecies for the new year, they're all contradicting themselves. I don't see a uniformity of message. Why would God the Holy Spirit give one message to one person for 2015 that then is contradicted by another word that the Lord is giving for 2015 through a different prophet? Uh-huh. Yeah, these people aren't prophesying from God. They're prophesying the stuff in their own hearts or their own imaginations. But here I am, you know, I got to navigate through all of that. Well, I want to say to you, even if the world has a bad year, we have the turnaround here. Are you understanding this? Whatever the enemy may have planned, the point is the body of Christ should be the shining light. We should be the overcomers. We are called to triumph. We are not like the world. Are you understanding this? We are not of the world. We are not like the world. We are caused to triumph. We are caused to be conquerors. And so as I'm getting in the spirit, as I do, you know, I'm listening to to uh, prophecies which are true, that it's going to be a tumultuous year, that it's a year of whirlwinds. You know, as we look at the Hebrew symbols for this year, we can see that, that they might... In- look at the Hebrew symbols for this year? What? some of that. There's many ways that we could look at the word. But as I began to intercede, the Lord said to me, no, no, this is the divine year of the turnaround at the midnight hour. It's the turnaround year. Oh, this is the turnaround year at the midnight hour. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think God told you that. You know, I began to look, and last week, Robert Madu got up here, and I thought he was going to preach my sermon, and I told him he better watch that. I'm beginning to think that her prophecy membrane is probably bulging and leaking, you know? So, but, you know, this is this is a season where things may look very, very dark. And if they look very, very dark, you better get excited because you're getting ready to see the biggest and the greatest breakthrough you have ever experienced in your life. Put your hands together and thank God for that. Okay, so we're about ready to receive the biggest and the greatest and the best whatever breakthrough from God because this is the turnaround year of the midnight hour. Now, now listen, it's very important that you listen to the word of the Lord and be a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word only. You understanding this? So there are going to be instructions given to you. This is a year when the prophets gave admonitions. What does that mean? It's like, okay, this may happen, but if they admonished us. If we do these things, we're going to turn around. If we do these things, we're going to be okay. Not only that, as I said earlier, we're going to overcome. And so this This is what the Lord told us. This is a year when God will give his people the chance to recalibrate. In the midst of what Satan... What do you mean by recalibrate? I had no idea that I needed to recalibrate. I mean, don't you recalibrate pieces of like, you know, of instrumentation, you know, things like that. You know, maybe the speedometer is off on your car, so you need to recalibrate it. Maybe you're a... Your treadmill isn't t- giving you accurate mileage, you know, on how far you're you're jogging on the treadmill. So you have to recalibrate it. What does it mean to recalibrate? 
seems to be doing in the whirlwind year. To recalibrate, listen to what it means. It means to correct in mid-course, modify, amend, change, bring a metamorphosis, renovate, transform, or to turn. The turnaround year. <sighs> so you go and you look up the word calibrate in a dictionary, and somehow that's going in all of the possible definitions somehow sounds super hopeful. Wow. It has to be from God because all those things sound so positive. Hot in a world when you may need to do all of these things. You may need to reset. You may need to reevaluate. You may need to say, I've been trying it this way a long time, and that's not working, darling. You're going to have to decide that you're going to get in the spirit. That's why we pray. Get in the spirit and say, Lord, I've got to hear my turnaround word. I have to hear from the Holy Spirit what I... So I have to get into the spirit in order to hear my turnaround word? What? To do. Don't just keep on doing the things that don't work. Amen? If they're not working for you, you need to ask God why and you need to restructure. So let God push the reset button in your life. So you're going to understand that this is what God is going to give. He's going to release new anointing, new wisdom. In fact, the word of wisdom. You may not be familiar with that spiritual gift, but the word of wisdom will actually give you supernatural information on what to do when you don't know what to do. How many of you, you say, there are times I don't know what to do. Can I see your hands? How many right now you don't know what to do? Can I see your hands? Yeah, right. I mean, I have some things in my life like that too. You know, and there's some things that we're afraid to confront. Now, I want to share with you a word of wisdom. The Holy Spirit is saying, you may have to start a whirlwind. (laughs) Really? God, the Holy Spirit said that, that, that you or me or, you know, anybody out there, you, that you, you might have to start a whirlwind. Really? God, the Holy Spirit said that? Uh Uh-huh. Are you getting that? You may have to be the one that says, oh no, this is not right. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your job situation. It might be in some other situation, but you have got to hear the courage. Now, listen, this is a word for you. I know it's a word for you. Some of you, you know, might be with an employer, employee. It might be with a friend. It might be whatever relationships it is. But if you are too timid, you're just going to have the status quo and you're going to be griping about it. This is a year for a no whining zone. (laughs) Yeah, so God the Holy Spirit says this year is the no whining zone year. You might have to start your own whirlwind, so don't just sit around and wait for God to start one, you know? Uh, Come on, put your hands together. I know you hate it. I mean, but we love it later, don't we? You know, I have a big sign in our office that says, thou shalt not whine. That's for me. I mean, they may think it's for the staff. Oh, no, that's for me. Because I slip into whining so easily. But then the Lord is really speaking to us. Listen to me. We cannot be. Yeah, no, I, I really don't think that the Lord is speaking to you in the way that you think. Yeah, God has spoken. It's in his word. And that's how God speaks to us. And, uh. But the way you think God is speaking to you, yeah, no, there's no reason whatsoever to believe this is from God. Spiritually lazy. Are you understanding this? 
Success is not for the lazy. This is a year that we're going to have to, as we say in Texas, put on your big boy pants and decide that you're going to grow up. Do we love it or do we hate it? Don't be looking at me like a calf in a new gate, as we say here. I'm not sure I'm going through there. This is a year when there is going to be whirlwinds. And I know, listen, I always think when I'm going to preach a message. So maybe she's saying there's going to be lots of tornadoes in Texas this year. That's how I'm interpreting it. If I have a message on turn around in the year of the whirlwinds, I'm going to have to live that thing. Oh, no. And have I ever been living that thing? But in the midst of the whirlwind, guess what? God's going to turn it around. Put your hands together. It's the turnaround year. And people are applauding this utter drivel? Remember that God spoke. To Job out of the whirlwind, Job, Job 38.1. There are many things out of proper alignment that will only be put into the right alignment through a shaking. Ah, okay. So you've got to start your own whirlwind. You know, don't sit around and wait for God to do it and don't whine about that. And then there's certain things that are out of alignment. And maybe you need to have it, you know, you need to experience one of those spiritual uh, recalibration thingies. Yeah, and but the only way that happens then is through a shaking. Right. Yeah. And so we all hate the shaking. But I want to tell you, it's dysfunctional not to get your life into right alignment. Out of fear, out of timidity, out of uh, being afraid you're going to lose. This is a year we must have great spiritual courage. Can you say amen? We must have great spiritual courage. This is a year we move from helplessness to hope. This is a year we move from helplessness to hope. What does that even mean? Bermadu referred to this last week, 2 Kings 21 through 11. Hezekiah was told he was going to die, but he turned his face to the wall and God gave him 15 more years. Hezekiah had a turnaround year. Just think of this. What? They probably called him a false prophet. First he comes in. No, they didn't call him a false prophet because there's that little bit of data in there. That, uh, hey, get your affairs together, you're going to die. And Hezekiah gets on his face and prays, and the Lord hears his prayer and relents. (sighs) The king, prepare yourself, you're going to die. Then he goes out the door, and and Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, and the prophet has to go back and say, now you're not going to die. Listen, prophets get in big trouble for that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, I know that story, you know? Yeah, and your false prophecies do not fall into that category. I mean, I give a word, and, you know, then somebody prays, and it doesn't happen, and then I've called the big false prophet all over the Internet. Okay, but... And that's because you are. ...have a job to do. So it's a violent, tumultuous season. But it will be a season of the greatest favor you have ever known. So we need to just say, okay, God, let it shake. Yeah, let it rock and roll. If you're going to change my life, aren't you tired of living the way you've been living? 
Don't you need to recalibrate? Don't you need to say, okay, I'm going to make significant change. You need to determine this year, whatever it is, to go through your metamorphosis that you're going to do it. You know what happens in metamorphosis, don't you? Well, there is a lot of struggle. And sometimes, if any, you know how it is scientifically. If you try to help that that uh, caterpillar out of that cocoon and you don't let them struggle in it, well, I'm telling you what's going to happen is that thing will die. It will never fly. Some of you, now this is a word of the Lord. Some of you have been propping up people in your life and you're trying to rescue them and you are that fire extinguisher that God's trying to start a fire under their life, but you keep coming along with your little fire extinguisher and your unsanctified mercy and you're putting that fire out. But the Lord says, this is a year that you're going to have to let me deal with what I need to deal with. This is a year that you need to get out of the way and let me be God. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, and shouting it doesn't make it true. Good word. That's a good word. This is a year of rest. Now, how could I say that? that? Isn't that crazy to say that? Here I just told you it's going to be a tumultuous year, but it's going to create a whirlwind. And how do you find rest in the midst of the storm? Well, you have to find that eye. You have to learn how to walk in the peace of God. The 15th year, day of the year of the Hebraic calendar actually represents rest. This will be a year of Sabbath rest. And this was our admonition. Remember I said the prophets had admonitions? This is the admonition for you. There are some of you that, that have never taken any kind of sabbatical. And you might say, oh, that's just for, you know, our doctor of education. Or that sometimes ministers take sabbaticals. No, the Lord shows me that every one of you in some way needs to ask God, how do you enter a Sabbath? In other words, how do you come to a time of rest? Now, listen to me. This is a word of faith for you. Some of you have not ever taken a vacation because you think you don't have the money. But if you will get in faith, God is going to give you the vacation of your dreams. (laughs) So the word of the Lord for 2015 is if you'll get in faith, God will give you the vacation of your dreams. Uh, Unbelievable. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, this is not scratching, itching ears at all, is it? I'm going to tell this story, and I'm trying to rush, but I'm going to tell you a story. Many years ago, when Mike and I were first married, you know, we were like, ah, you know, I cried if I had to spend $4 on something, you know, or it was a disaster if the kid's shoe broke or something. That's kind of where we were. And so, you know, but one day I got it in my spirit that I was going to go to Hawaii. Mike and I were going on a second honeymoon. We never really had a first honeymoon. My dad died a month before we got married. A lot of things happened. So we were going to go to Hawaii first class. So I told my husband, and, and you know, I'm sorry, Michael, you know, uh, uh, about this, but at that time he was not the mighty man of faith he is now. 
uh, almost 41 years later. And so he said, honey, you know we can't afford to go to Hawaii. I said, well, maybe you can't afford to go to Hawaii, but I am in faith that God is going to send us to Hawaii and we're going to go first class and we're going to have a second honeymoon. So you know what he did in those days? He just rolled his eyes at me. You know, that Mr. Crunchy business executive guy, you know, but now he's kind of more juicy Pentecostal. But, you know, so he's come a long way, baby, in these few years. But anyway, so I got to pray. So he was working for American Airlines and, and, you know, we went to a Christmas party and they did a drawing. And what did they draw? The drawing was for two, three first class tickets anywhere we wanted to go. And so God worked it out. We went first class to Hawaii. We had a wonderful, wonderful, really, honeymoon time. And it was so glorious. Listen to me. Some of you don't know how to get in faith. You're lazy spiritually. You just believe the lies the devil have told you that you're always going to be poor. You're always going to be broke. God's never going to give you a turnaround. The good things that happen for other people, but they're not for you. But I want to say, listen. Listen to me. The Lord wants to bless you when you're coming in and going out. He wants to bless you in the field. He wants to bless you in the city. Yeah, scratching, itching ears kind of prophecy going on here. God wants to give you first-class tickets to the vacation of your dreams this year in 2015. Yeah, and uh, she's up at another fevered pitch there, and uh, my ears have literally taken about as much as I can take. From her. Is she hearing from God the Holy Spirit? Not on your life. This isn't prophecy. This is nonsense. And it just is so tragic that that building is full. And it looks like they could easily seat seven, eight hundred people there. And they're all there packed in the house to hear what the Lord is saying for 2015. You want to know what the Lord's saying? Open up your Bible, read it in context. God's Word is living and active, He speaks his written word. As for Cindy Jacobs, yeah, he ain't speaking through her. I don't know what that was, but that wasn't prophecy. Yeah. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, a Stephen Furtick update. We'll tune in to what he was telling the folks there at Elevation Church on uh, New Year's Eve. It's very uh, Keith Craft-esque. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents... Church Day Select.
enemy vessel off the starboard bow. What colors are they flying? They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity. This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. Two arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Captain Furtick, sir. Enemy ship approaching. They're flying the accursed Cairo flag. It's the HMS Alethea. Oh, dear, that's bad news. We mustn't let them get the better of us. Call the praise band drummer and man battle station. Aye, aye, sir. You heard the man. Get to work. Come on, keep going. The enemy's not going to wait for us. Captain, sir, they're turning to meet us. With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report. Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr. Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire cannons, I that was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wished for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in our hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But, but we're not within silence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. I say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into the port side while they reload. Aye, aye, sir. Fire the cannons! Ha! You call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why, why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir. Are they even trying anymore? By all accounts, I believe they are. Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy.
Hello, over there. Go away. We have nothing to say to you. I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender. My surrender? Ha! It is you who will be surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No, I, I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting. Enough talk, men. Ready, aim, fight! What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But, but, uh, no! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, would you look at that? Your rudder is gone, too. <clears throat> It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it, don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me. The God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I surrender. Geronimo! Satan with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it! Stop it right now! All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have... God on our side. We shall prevail. We will. Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about the Bowflex Max Trainer. Now, if you're like me and you want to stay fit and you want to exercise and keep active, uh, but you don't have hours to dedicate going to the gym, well, consider the Bowflex Max Trainer. I've been able to use this piece of equipment over the last nine weeks, and I've been consistently able to lose a pound a week on the Bowflex Max Trainer. And some days I was only able to exercise... For 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. There's a 14-minute workout on this thing that will leave you dripping with sweat. It uses uh, interval training to kind of boost your metabolism up, and the afterburn effect on this thing is actually quite amazing. So if you'd like more information about the Bowflex Max Trainer, visit fightingforthefaith.com. And along the side, you'll see an advertisement for the Bowflex there on our website. Click on that, head on over to the Bowflex site, and check out the information regarding the Bowflex Max Trainer. Trainer. It has been a fantastic piece of equipment for me, and I'm hoping that if you're looking for a piece of equipment that will work for you and you have limited time, this will help meet those needs. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Bowflex ad and get your Max Trainer today. back 
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all these people out there claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God for the new year, that they're really not. And that's a good thing. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344. Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, time for a a Stephen Furtick update, which requires us to do this. there at Elevation Church. They had a church service, and at that church service, Stephen Furtick narsegeted a text from the Old Testament. There's a shock of shocks right there. And uh, claims that uh, in 2015, you're going to find your flow. See, now Cindy Jacobs is saying, hey, you know, this is the year of the turnaround at the midnight hour, but Stephen Furtick, the prophet, the vision casting leader, let me back off the music here, he says you're going to find your flow. So, with a <laughs> You just can't make this stuff up. So without any further ado, let's uh, tune in to the uh, New Year's Eve service from Elevation Church to hear this, what God has pressed upon, laid on the heart of uh, the vision-casting leader, Stephen Furtick. 
Here we go. I want to preach to you now, if that would be okay. You're stuck here until next year. You may as well give your attention to the Word of God. I want to share with you a scripture that I've been holding on to for several months. Something that's been so exciting in me. I've, I've been exploding internally. You've been holding on to a scripture for several months and something exciting is exploding inside of you. Okay. Since the last time I saw you on Christmas Eve, and I want to share with you a word. Last year's New Year's Eve sermon stayed on my mirror. The scripture that the Lord gave me stayed on my mirror all year until today. The singular scripture that God gave you, I thought God gave us the whole Bible. And what God put in my heart for us, I believe it'll carry through the whole year. I believe it will. And I believe it'll set a great direction for your attitude. My question is, why would God have you focus on a singular portion of Scripture for an entire year? That doesn't make any sense. It's not like, you know, the new year. It's like the Chinese new year, like, you know, the horse, the dragon, the frog, or anything like that. You you know what I'm saying? It's not, oh, this is the Christian year of the, you know, whatever, of purpose, the Christian year of uh, breakthrough, the pre- of the turnaround at the midnight hour. This is the Christian year of, yeah, no, see, that's... That's not how God's word works in this coming year. But I I covered up the old scriptures with the new ones because this is something that, well, on the surface, you might not see it. But if you give me a few minutes to work it out, I want to preach to you from Genesis 26. I'll read a couple verses for you, but I have one particular thought that I want to drill down on tonight. And we welcome all of our locations. Man, it's so great to be linked up all over the city. Welcome those of you watching online. Welcome those of you on Trinity Broadcasting Network, watching locally on television. Yeah, you'd fit right in with the folks there at Trinity Broadcasting Network, wouldn't you? Yeah, we could say uh, we knew Stephen Furtick back when. Now he's a full-blown, for-real televangelist. Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read it without context, and then I'll backfill the context in a moment. The scripture says that Isaac planted crops in that land... And the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. Now, if anything good happened to you in your life this year, I want you to know the cause of it was right there in verse 12. I don't know if you missed part B. It said he, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Yeah, and just because Isaac reaped a hundredfold that one year doesn't mean that God's promising you or I to do the same this year. But you're right, God is the one who gives us our blessings. This is absolutely true. And sometimes God is the one blessing us in the midst of adversity and suffering because it's through those that he is purging away dross, if you know what I mean. We continue. If you had all your needs met this year... If you didn't lose your mind this year, if you didn't have a nervous breakdown this year, or if you did and then you got back together, if you still got your family around you this year, there's only one reason. Don't get it twisted. It's because the Lord blessed you. That's why we came. What a weird thing on the list. If if you had a nervous breakdown this year and you recovered, well, okay. It's just like Isaac, you know, planting, you know, seeds in the ground and yielding a hundredfold harvest. Yeah, it's just like that. Into church at the end of the year because we want to thank the one who got us to this point. 
you have to bring it down a notch. That's only the first verse, and I'm reading all the way to 18. Tell somebody next to you what had happened was the Lord bless you. That's, that's, that's why you're here. Not smart enough to make it this far. You're not cute enough to make it this far. You're not sufficient in and of yourself to make it this far. But if the blessing of God is on you, it'll carry you through some tough times and some dark days. Verse 13. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. I hope you don't think that God's riches just simply revolve around worldly wealth. Because the scripture says that that he'll make you rich and he'll... Yeah, again, this is a... Uh, I hate to say it, put it this way, but this is a historical narrative. This is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. God ain't promising you riches and wealth and blessings just because Isaac was blessed in that chapter in Genesis. He'll add no sorrow to it. So he'll make you rich in ways where you'll have everything that you need, not just on the outside, but on the inside. We want to be rich in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, that's weird because those are the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, um, which is what Christians produce. And so if you want to say, hey, God's going to produce in you, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, you would preach that text. Why are you preaching this one, though, from Genesis? And he got so blessed, look at verse 14. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with the earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Verse 18 is my focal point. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. I don't so much have a sermon title for this occasion as I have an announcement. So I need you to turn to your neighbor and make the announcement for me because I can't get around the whole church. I wish I could. But at every location, turn to your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, in 2015... You're going to find your flow. Uh, what? Why would I find my flow just because you read that verse from Genesis? That, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's the announcement. How do you like that? That's why God brought you here to tell you in 2015... Yeah, so God brought people to Elevation Church to hear that in 2015 they'd find their flow. Really? Teen other people and tell them you're going to find your flow. You're going to find your flow. Come on, tell them you're going to find you're going to find your flow. You're going to find your flow. You're going to find your flow. So it's like a find your flow party out there at Elevation. Wow. This year. Come on, we're flowing into 15. 2015 is the year of flow. We're going to flow. We're going to flow. We're going to flow. You're going to find your flow. Help me thank the worship team, the production team, the Parker team, the, all the teams, the dream team. Well, let's, let's take our seats and find our flow. Let's find our flow tonight. There's nothing more fun in life than when you are in the flow. 
in the flow. Usually that's a psychological... Can, can somebody explain to me how that passage from Genesis has anything to do with, quote-unquote, finding your flow? I, I, I just don't see it. ...term, you often hear in the flow or in the zone. Might be a more common way that you hear it said, but I want to talk in terms of finding your flow from a theological as well as a psychological standpoint tonight because there's nothing more fun and fulfilling than when you find your flow and living in the flow. It's an amazing, amazing sensation. We each picked a word for our year-end offering that we wanted to see embodied in our life this year. One word. Wanted to focus on one word. It's funny because on Saturday night when I was leading the congregation to bring their offering and to choose one word, I had not selected my word yet. And when I choose a word, okay. When I was up talking in front of the whole church, I just felt the word just come. So you felt this. That means you, that's a shorthand for God told you. Come out of my mouth like a projectile, like just came out of my mouth. Yeah, like projectile vomiting. Got it. And I said the word before I even knew what I was saying. I was like watching myself say it, fulfillment. And I just said that word, and it felt so right that that's what. My oh, see, it had to be. That had to be from God. I mean, if you said the word fulfillment and, and it just felt right, well, that proves it's from God, right? My focus needed to be in 2015 is fulfillment. And I really believe that it's going to be a word for our church in this year, fulfillment. And we'll see how the Lord unpacks that. I don't want to tell him how to do his job, but I really sense this word fulfillment has a, has a deep meaning for us because fulfillment is not a state of affairs. A lot of us think of fulfillment like a fulfillment center on Amazon where they fulfill your order and bring it to your doorstep. But fulfillment is really a state of mind while God's promises are in process in your life. And so I want to live in a state of fulfillment as I'm waiting for God to bring his promises to pass. Anyway, fulfillment begins with flow. Fulfillment begins with flow. And so you're getting a head start on all the weekend only people because by the time they get here this weekend for this brand new series, you're going to already be in the flow of what God is speaking. Now, when athletes get in their flow, they play like they're from another planet. And they're able to succeed really above and beyond their natural skill level. So you're telling these people that God has basically laid it on your heart to let everybody know that in 2015 they're going to they're gonna find their flow and they're going to just be like, you know, athletes in the zone, right? Really, what, what does this have to do with that Genesis passage again? When they find their flow. There's a lot of sports psychology that tries to study what makes flow happen. One definition I read said, and I want to get it exactly right. I jotted it down. It says that the flow as we... Yeah, you want to get that exactly right, but you don't want to get your exegesis of what Genesis 26 right or accurate at all. That was just a pretext for, you know, to make it look like this is some kind of biblical message when it's not. We mean it. Don't try to write all this. Is a mental state of operation in which a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. So I want to live in that place as much as I can. Uh, if you remember, you know, a time in your life where you were in the flow, certain stuff came easily to you. And sometimes it, it, it seems like it, you're watching yourself. It's just a weird thing. And I, I, I see it a lot of times when I'm preaching, like I'm, I'm studying and, and I'm trying to get something and I'll study for days and nothing will really make sense. 
then all of a sudden it'll just start coming at me. It'll kind of like this message did. Just study, 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 nothing. And then boom, you're in the flow. Even sometimes in the act of preaching, I'll get in a flow where I don't know what I'm going to say next. And I'm hoping that it makes sense that all the syllables get out. But when you're in that flow, it's a really powerful feeling. Creative people know how much you need flow to do what you do. Um, But it's not just creative people. All of us need cash flow. Hello, somebody. (laughs) All all kinds of... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So we're going to have cash flow this year, too. Yeah. You know, the word flow is part of cash flow, you know. So flow. Life is better with cash flow. It doesn't matter how good your prayer life is. There are certain things you can't do in the world without positive cash flow. Life is better with flow. Tell somebody next to you, life is better with flow. Tell tell the person on the other side of you, uh, uh, hip-hop is better with flow. Everything is better with flow. Sometimes when I try to exercise, the first few reps are the hardest in the morning because I need to get my blood flowing. Right. I'm just working this word for a minute before we move back to the text. Yeah, because that's kind of weird because um, this text has nothing to do with being in the zone or having flow or cash flow or any kind of flow like that. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing more fun than being in a, in a flow, a state of energized, focused, full involvement and enjoyment in the process where you're really fulfilled in the flow, not just accomplishing the task, but enjoying the activity because you're in the flow and producing more than you could by yourself. I don't think this has its roots in modern psychology or Eastern mysticism, however. I find the concept of flow very present in all of Scripture. And I'll show you just... Really, the concept of being in the flow, in the zone, is all over Scripture. Man, I've read my Bible so many times, I don't ever once recall that being you know, peppered throughout the Bible. One example where Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39... On the last and greatest day of the festival, he stood up and said in a loud voice, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said, on the last and greatest day. I wonder if on the last day of 2014, there's something. Yeah, notice how you just twisted that text from being about Jesus to being about you. Yeah, that's Narcissus. It's a form of Bible twisting, a really bad form of it. That Jesus wants to shout. And announced to our church before we leave this year, he said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will, will what? Will what, Lake Norman? Yeah, um, rivers of living water will flow. Not that that's an example of somebody being in the flow. You're just, you're engaging in word games. You ha- you're using all of these different definitions of flow. You've, I mean, put out, what, 20 different ways in which the word flow is being used. And you're not even, uh, you're not even finding passages that are going with the theme of being in the flow or the zone. You're, you know, you're just you know, all over the place. This is obfuscation. This is a form of deception. This is not a form of exegesis. You're not teaching these people anything that God's word really says. But you got them all worked up. I mean, hey... Elevation gets an A for really being amped. But see, the pastor gets an F for not correctly exegeting the biblical text. But then again, I've really never known Stephen Furtick to be a great exegete. 
at least in the years that I've been doing Fighting for the Faith and covering what he does with the biblical text, I can't say that I've ever really, truly seen a streak in him where he's been in the exegetical flow, you know, where he's, you know, like a trained athlete preaching Christ and focusing our attention on our faith on Jesus and what he's done for us over and again, just like what you just heard. Stephen Furtick twists God's word, plays fast and loose with definitions, and no sooner does he read a text or reference it, he twists it and makes it all about you rather than what Christ has done for you and about Christ, period. Anyway, you get the point. So, yeah, this is a high-water mark time of the year in the church, yeah, where the uh, types of messages you're going to be hearing, prophetic messages, messages that, uh, that just feel like they're from the Lord, yeah, they don't ever really line up with Scripture, do they? Yeah, that's kind of not their point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Another New Year's sermon from a secret type church. Summit Church. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Down, click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Gonna listen to another beginning of the year sermon. Call it that. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's 
sermon comes to us via the Summit Church. Uh, Patrick Andre presiding. The name of the sermon delivered on January 4th of 2015 is entitled, It's Time. And uh, let me read to you the description of this sermon. The description reads, God wants you to be a different person than you were last year. Discover how God desires growth for you in three ways to change your life based on biblical truth. Right now, it's time. So now's the time, you know. Gotta change it up. You know, God wants you to be different. So you need to apply these life-changing principles and, uh, you know, things will change. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is uh, Patrick Andre from the Summit Church explaining to us what it is that God's trying to tell us this year in 2015. Here we go. Sunday, first Sunday of 2015. Am I any different than I was the first Sunday of 2014? Yeah, I'm older. And I'm not just talking about all the negative sides of things. I'm really talking about have I improved my life? Have I gone to another place? Have I gone to another level? Am I in that new season that God has for my life? Well, you know, kind of looking across humanity and, you know, and seeing how things play out regarding seasons of life. I mean... There was a season where I was a child, and then I was a teenager, and then kind of in my 20s, young adult kind of thing, and then I kind of hit, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and now I'm, you know, in my 40s and kind of looking ahead and going, you know, 50s and 60s, if I just look at how other people have, you know, progressed in their seasons of life and things like that, um, yeah, um, (laughs) definitely looking forward to more gray hair, less muscle tone, um, you know, things like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, you know, I'm progressing into that next season of my life. Did, did I really move in that direction? Oh yeah. I'm definitely older during the year. Now I only have a couple of hours for my message this morning, so I better get into it because I am pretty long winded sometimes. Okay. And I want to make another statement to you. Just so you know that the older I get, the more I become aware of this. What I'm about to share with you, this message is for me. So what you're going to get this morning is you're going to get to go on a journey with me of something I need to hear. And I don't know, maybe you don't think you're going to need to hear it, but I know I need to hear it. And if I can get to the age I'm at and still know I need to hear it, then I think probably everyone in this room needs to hear it as well. In our quest to live the best life we can for God, sometimes something happens that causes us to reach a point where we wonder, have we done our best? Have we gone as far as we can go? And unfortunately, we tend to hit plateaus. Those plateaus... They can be because we quit trying to do something, we just stop, or we've gone and we've done some things and we reach a point where we think, oh man, I've made it, and we stop and we say, you know what, I'm comfortable here, everything's good, and that's another dangerous place to live. I don't want to live in a comfort zone of life. Is it a sin to live in the comfort zone? 
Uh, do people go to hell for that? And did Jesus bleed and die so that people wouldn't uh, live in the comfort zone? I, I'm not exactly sure what it is that you are referring to here. And uh, and so we, I've got some problems kind of understanding where you're coming from. But we continue. And what happens is we get to a point where we feel we aren't making any progress. Life isn't progressing at the degree I want it to progress. And Life isn't progressing to the degree that I want it to. Okay. Um, let, me, um, let me read to you uh, a story that Jesus told. And uh, it's a story about a guy who's really wealthy. I mean, he achieved I mean, just amazing results in his life during his temporal time here on earth. And then there's this other guy named Lazarus. And, uh, I mean, by all, by all the standards of the world, the guy was a complete washout. I mean, total loser. Um, you know, he never progressed to that next season in his life where you know, it sounds to me like he maybe he settled, you know, for his comfort zone. And let, let's see how Jesus talks about these things here. So uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, this is kind of important here that uh, Jesus never says of this this poor beggar Lazarus that uh, you know he in you know that at, in New Year's Day back in the year um, thirty two A.D. Um, that you know this guy needed to. Uh, you know, do what was necessary to apply principles for life change so that he can, you know, get things better in his life so that he can go to that next level. I mean, clearly this, you know, Lazarus has plateaued and he's like, he's plateaued like down at the bottom. He's the dregs of society. But here's what it says. The poor man, that would be Lazarus. He died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man died also and was buried in Hades that yeah, and being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he called out father Abraham have mercy on me send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame who sound I mean the rich guy I mean probably every year you know he sat down and wrote down his goals his bank account really excelled and just shot through the roof and, uh, you know, he really took his life to the next level. And every year, it just got better to the point where, I mean, he was able to take it easy and eat sumptuously. I mean, that's how things went for him. But the scripture makes it clear that the guy who was super successful with all of his goals in his life, he ended up in hell. And the the loser dude who, like, couldn't get his act together and was, like, icky with sores and pussy, stinky stuff and and uh, was you know a beggar he he actually was saved can you explain that to me in light of what it is that you're preaching what happens is we become frustrated we become frustrated due to lack of progress and that begins to create questions inside of us questions like hey when is my life going to change have you ever asked yourself that question at yeah uh-huh any time during your life doesn't have to be today, but at any time during your life. Have you ever asked the question, hey, is this all there is? 
man, there's got to be something more to life than, than what I'm experiencing right now. And yeah, there is. Um, but again, that, that poor guy, Lazarus, I mean, don't you ever wonder if he sat there and said, you know, there's got to be more to life than just begging and, you know, and being pussy with sores and stuff like that and having dogs lick me and, you know, and, 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 you know, longing for the food, you know, the crumbs that are falling from the table of this rich dude's house. Don't you think that he, you know, he might have possibly thought there was more to life than this. And yet he ends up saved. Isn't that weird? Strange, isn't it? And I just want to give you some good news this morning. The good news that Christ bled and died for our sins and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by what Christ has done for us on the cross alone. There is more. Oh, the good news, there's more to life than this. Okay. Yeah, okay. And with God, there will always be something more. You may even think that 2014 was a good year. You probably think it was a great year. (laughs) The years my children were born, great years. The year I graduated from high school, great year. The year I graduated from college, great year. When I got my first paying dig, great year. I'm bringing home some bacon. Hmm? The first time I ever got to speak in front of a group of believers, that was a great year. And so you, you might have come out a year that you think was a great year, but let me tell you something, that's not the end of your life. It's not. And there's more that God has for us. Now, since 1988, since I've been in ministry, I've met a lot of people all over this earth. Some have fallen away from the faith. Some have passed away. But many are still walking with the Lord. They're still speaking in their churches, speaking in their ministries. And as I watch them, you know, if they've progressed on Facebook or Twitter... (laughs) You know, that's progression also, I guess, all right? Um, There is a tremendous amount of communication taking place right now about this new thing that God wants to do. God's going to do something. What new thing is God going to do? I mean, you're talking in some vague, universal way. It's Apparently, there's some huge new thing that God wants to do. What are you talking about? Where is that promised in Scripture? New. God's going to take us to a new place. But if you're sitting here today and you're wondering when, when is all this going to change? When is my life going to get better? When are things going to improve? When am I going to get a better job? When am I going to make more money? When, 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 when? Uh, Where does God promise you any of those things? I want to say to you, why not now? Amen. Why not now? This is a sermon? Really? Okay. Why not now? Why wait another year? Why spend, you know, that is a great message. It's been around for decades and who knows, maybe thousands of years. Why spend one more night with the frogs? (laughs) There we go. That lame, twisty... (laughs) Of the plague of frogs from the book of Exodus. Good night. This is drearily awful. 
Why? You don't have to. You can choose today to move in to that new level, to that new thing that God has for you. Oh, all I got to do is choose to go into that new level. That's all I got to do. And then poof, it'll happen, right? Uh-huh. Where does the scripture say this again? And many of you probably feel like you're on a launch pad with a countdown waiting to launch for something. Let me just see. I just want to, I just want to challenge you while I'm here. I want to see by a show of hands, is there anyone here that feels like, yeah, I feel like I'm on that launch pad. There's something that, you know, I want to get. So if I feel like I'm on a launch pad, I'm ready for the new thing that God's going to do. Okay. Going, there's something higher. There's, I want to get out there with God. Is there any way here says, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's more, there's more. I feel it. You feel it? Uh, No, I don't, I don't feel nothing. Some of you don't even know if you have feelings. Well, then somebody hit the person next to you. We'll see if you have feelings or not, okay? Well, it's time to get off the launch pad. It's not time to sit around and wait longer and longer and longer. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. I want to show you something. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. All right, now we're going to pause his um, mangling of this text because there's no way with what he's told us what the sermon's about that he's actually correctly understanding or exegeting this text. We're going to take a look at it because he's only reading, what, the first five verses? It, maybe he'll read more, but let's take a look at the text and see if we can figure out what's really going on here. And then we'll see if he can, like, figure it out. And we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, context, and context. Let's see what's going on here. So uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, so Simon Peter, the guy who is a fisherman, yeah, under, you know, basically trying to gently correct the rabbi here who really isn't a fisherman. It's like, yeah, listen, we were out all night. We didn't catch anything. Yeah, all right, because you said so, I'll do it, all right? So when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now, if we stop right there, we can say, oh, this is all about you. See, Jesus has just stepped into your boat. Yeah. And he's telling you to cast the nets on the, do something different and something different will happen in your life. And if you did that with this text, you would totally mangle it because that's not what this text is saying at all. Again, this is a historical narrative text. This is a descriptive text, not a prescription. There's no prescription in here for you to let your nets down on the other side of your allegorical, metaphorical boat. 
yeah, that's not what's going on here. This is telling us something about what Jesus actually did. And what Simon Peter does in reaction to this is huge. So, all right, so when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. It's like, hey, we need help over here. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. This is a huge amount of fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now you're thinking, what is going on here? Well, let's put this in perspective. What is Peter? Peter's a fisherman. This is what he does for a living. And um, here, Jesus, this novice who has no clue how to do fishing, right, because he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, um, you know, he simply says, throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. You know, just just do that for me, all right? And he does it, and they catch such a large haul of fish that the nets are breaking. In other words, Jesus, if he wanted to, could have been the wealthiest fisherman ever on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, and that's not what Jesus is about. And Peter, having heard Jesus preaching, yeah, that's right, he listened to Jesus preach from his boat. He's hearing and seeing something that is making him realize he's a sinner. Because if Peter had this ability, Peter would have used it for his own sinful purposes, to, you know, to take care of himself, if you would. But here, he realizes he's in the presence of somebody who truly is holy. This Jesus is a man of God in the truest sense. And so he is stricken, cut to the heart. And his response to Jesus is, away from me, away from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners, business partners with Simon. And Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Everything. That huge haul of fish, all the money, the equipment, the boats, the nets. I mean... He just left it to follow Jesus. That's what's going on here. Okay. Well, let's see what Patrick Andre of the Summit Church out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area thinks that this is about. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, say now. Now. Look at the person next to you, straight in the eyes, and tell them, now. Yeah, um, yeah, this isn't about us doing anything now, unless, of course, it's to trust Jesus. No, that was really weak. Oh, that was really weak. I want you to look at another person now. I want you to take it up another notch and say, now. Now. That's what I'm talking about. Now. Isn't it interesting? He says now. Now go out. Yeah, no, it's not interesting that he says now. The reason why it's not interesting is because this is recounting a 
historical event, something that took place. And uh, by the way, um, let me let me see if the now is even in the uh, Greek text. Um, let's see, Simon uh, put out into the uh, all right, into the deep and let down or loosen your nets into you know, for a catch. Yeah, in the Greek, I don't see the word now. What translation are you translating from? Hmm. All right, let's continue. Out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now listen to Peter. Master. <laughs> Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. His words give him away. He's a man of doubt. He doesn't believe that there's another catch out there. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought that up at all. He just would have. Yeah, how about he's a man of experience as a fisherman? Uh -huh. Yeah, he's spent many a night fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I've immediately gone and done what the master said. So he's beginning to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. And then he says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Now, here's the thing. Peter was ready to delay going back out to fish another time. But Jesus said he was to go now. And you're putting a lot of emphasis on a word that isn't in the Greek text. That means you are not an exegete, sir. You have not actually translated this text, and you're, not, you're just depending upon whatever translation you're working from right now. And you, in, you, since you're making such a huge point, I mean, let's take a look. We'll do a little survey here. Okay. ESV, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. No now in the ESV. Let's take a look at the NASB. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. No now in the NASB. Let's check the NIV. The NIV, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. No now in the NIV. Huh. That's weird. I wonder what the King James says. Yeah. It says, now when he had left, uh, no, uh, yeah, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Yeah, that's what the King James Version says. The now is in there, but uh, it just is talking about when he had left, uh, when he had finished speaking. That, But see, yeah, so it's weird. He's putting a huge emphasis on a word that isn't even in the Greek text, and the better English translations note the fact that that word is not in there. But why? Because they just translated it straight from the Greek text. We continue. Say now. Now. Jesus was telling Peter to forget what he had seen or what had happened up until that moment and to see what was going to happen just like he's telling you to do the same. That's kind of the point we're leading up to, don't you think? And move towards that result. You see, God sees where he wants you to be. 
You may not. Yeah, this is not about where God wants me to be. Not at all. This you're totally narcissizing this text, almost Stephen Furtick style. See it, but he does. And if you're going to move forward in faith, then you cannot look at what you have already seen. You, you can't even listen to what everybody else says about you. This text isn't about anything that you've seen or said or what anyone else is saying. You have to focus on what God says. You have to focus on God's plan for your life. Uh, this text isn't about plans for your life. But there's something out there that he wants you to accomplish, specific to your calling. And he says, forget... And this text isn't about Peter accomplishing something specific to his calling, because afterwards he left it all. Yep. Wow, is this bad. Get what you've seen, forget what's happened up to this moment, and, and, and go where I see things are. Basically, I put it this way. Jesus was saying, what? You're going to give up now just because you haven't received, you get ready for this, just because you haven't received what you thought you should, when you thought you should? Uh, what are you talking about? You're sticking stuff into this text that is not even there. Don't we all have that problem? Yeah, I want this. That's what I want. And oh, by the way, I want that now. Well, Peter was ready to stop. He said, wait a minute, we've been fishing all night long. We haven't caught a thing. And in his mind, he's thinking, I'm not going back out there. But that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. I thought the reason I needed Jesus is because he's the Savior who lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins. He's the Lord and Savior who calls me to repent and to be forgiven and who gives me eternal life as a gift by grace through faith. I thought that's what I needed Jesus for. You see, this text doesn't teach anything about, oh, I need Jesus in order to go to the next level, because the next level for Peter was to abandon the, everything that he'd gone to, that he'd built up already, left the whole fishing business. Because whenever someone else tries to tell us to go do something, a lot of times we don't want to listen to them. So we need a Jesus to come in, point his finger at us, and say, stop beating around the bush. Stop delaying. Don't even give a second thought to waiting. Now is the time to move forward. And this text is not saying any of that. The thing about getting older is I get more deliberate. And I get to take more time. And I get to deliver in a way that I don't feel the pressures of a young man that has to prove something. I get to just walk and look in people's eyes and I get to say to you, I believe that as great as all messages are for a new year, the problem with that is, is that we deal with it on the first Sunday and then it's gone. It's gone. 
And the truth of the matter is we need someone to remind us that this is not just a new year. This is a new season. And in that season, there is to be growth. That's what seasons are about. I don't have this in the message in the scriptures that I gave them, but in Ecclesiastes 3.1, it's our memory verse. It says this, there's an opportune time to do things. A right time for everything on the earth. Now, it's easy to take that verse of scripture and sit back and think, oh yeah, well, I'll just wait on God's timing. I'm not sure that's exactly what it's saying. I believe what he's saying, that there is a time for everything. The challenge is this. What is that thing that it is the time for now in your life? Uh, Yeah, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to weep. A time to sow, a time to reap, a time, yeah. Yeah, see, what are you talking about? Just because a calendar year has changed, which is kind of an arbitrary type of thing, doesn't mean that there's some thing on the horizon, some new thing that I'm supposed to be looking for that God's trying to lead me into. God doesn't want you to be the same. Oh, Oh, I agree. He wants me to repent. And bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you want to talk about how God wants me to be different, then you got to talk about sin. Uh-huh. And bearing fruit in keeping with repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You're not doing that. That you are today on December 31st, 2015. That's right. I can guarantee you that. He wants all of us to experience a positive progression, a movement forward in our lives that we can look back at the end of this year and say, man, my life is totally different. It's so much better than it was at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. And where in scripture does it say that God wants things to be so much better? So you're basically setting these people up for walking away from the Christian faith because when the end of 2015 rolls around, if the year wasn't better, if it was worse, if it was harder, if it was more difficult, and you know, and things are not better, but they're like the exact opposite, well, clearly they've let God down, and God's angry at them for that. Amen. Says what? You're going to give up now just because you haven't received what you thought you should when you thought you should? Listen, that's the kind of life I lived many, many years ago. Yeah, Jesus didn't say that to Peter. You put those words in Jesus' mouth, but they're not in that text. When I was a young man, I was a quitter. I graduated from high school. I immediately went off to college, and within a month and a half, I quit. Because to me, it was too hard. I don't even know if I've ever told my... How about seminary? Did you finish that? Because it doesn't sound like it. Kids this, that that's what I did. But that's the kind of life I used to live. And because I was a quitter, I never accomplished anything. I quit jobs. I quit everything. Always quitting before my goals were accomplished. But now I want you to listen to what Isaiah chapter 43 verses 16 through 19 says. This is out of the message. Uh, That's going to be a problem. This is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean. Can you believe that? He built a road right through the ocean, not over the ocean, 
not in the ocean, but through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down. They can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. But notice what he says. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Doesn't matter if it was good. Doesn't matter if it was bad. He says, stop going over everything that's already occurred because there's something else. There's something else. This church is not called. Can I just speak a prophetic word? No, um, hang on a second here, because I don't believe you're going to be receiving any prophetic words from God because you are twisting the prophet Isaiah. What's going on in Isaiah 43 in this text that he's quoted? Well, this is a promise regarding the new thing that God is going to do. What is the new thing that God's going to do? It has nothing to do with the new year or, you know, you going to the next level. Mm-mm. Nope, it has to do with the new covenant. This is a promise of the new covenant. Let me keep reading. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah forty three sixteen. Thus says Yahweh, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, if that new thing, that new thing is not having anything to do with the new year has to do with, this is in a sense, alluding to and pointing us to the new covenant, which is in Christ Jesus. Yes. You're not called to be the same that's right. at this time next year. That's, right. uh, that's not a prophetic word, and that's not what Isaiah 43 is saying either. You're not called to have the same number of people this time next year. You don't have to settle for having the same number of services this time next year. God does not... So he's vision casting for a larger church. Oh, okay. Plant churches for them to just bring a few people together, for them to just sit in a chair and experience the same thing week after week after week. He does it so we have a place where we can grow, where we can become more influential, where we can become more powerful, where we can become more loving and more caring. You're already on that path, but don't let it stop there. He says, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. And then he says, don't you see it? There it is. Yeah, Isaiah 43 isn't talking about the new thing God wants to do in your life in 2015. Wow, the old serpent, he's busy at work in the churches doing the same old, same old, twisting and mangling God's word. 
Yeah, he hasn't learned a new trick at all. He sticks to the one that uh, has worked faithfully for him for millennia. See, he can see it right now. And he's wanting to challenge us to see what he sees now. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers. God is saying the same thing that he was saying in Luke to Peter, isn't he? He's really telling us right now, don't keep going over old history. It doesn't matter if you didn't catch anything last night. I'm telling you, there's fish there right now. Yeah, um, boy, this is just awful. Wow. It doesn't matter if your company didn't make any money last year. Hello, are you listening to me? Fish, that was his prosperity. Doesn't matter in today's world if your company didn't make it, but it didn't make any money. Okay, it didn't make any money last year. Okay, fine. But that doesn't have to be the way it is for this year. It only becomes that way if we allow ourselves to settle for it. So the new thing that God's going to do in 2015, he's going to make your, your company make money. Wow, that's so practical that way. So forget what's happened up until now and move on. Because now is the time. Before we can move to the next level, we must understand that life comes to us in steps. It comes to us in seasons. And the purpose of these new levels, the purpose of these new steps, the purpose of these new seasons is to bring growth. Changes are going to come. Changes are going to come. Changes are going to come. And just because you repeated it and repeated it and repeated it doesn't mean that that's what God's Word says. Yeah, everything you've said that God's Word is saying, it isn't saying. We do not have a right. We have no right to try and tell God how to do things or when to do things. Changes are going to come and either we're going to see them and move into them or we're going to become the victim of these new seasons. People that others... Oh, no. I don't want to become the victim of the new season. Sounds like the Dodgers sometimes. Look back on and say, man, I don't know what happened to them, but man, they missed it. I, for one, am not willing to miss it. I missed it enough. Oh, you're so brave. In my life. As hard as it is to have moved away... From my son, my daughter-in-law, my grandchildren here in Houston. We know that there is a season we are to be in Fort Worth. That doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that we're going to follow through. And because of that, we are already seeing changes in us. Changes. Good changes. Would have been easy to just say, no, we're not going to do that, which a lot of us do. (laughs) 
So the time is now to move on from your plateaus. Get going on doing the things necessary that will position you for stepping into the new thing, that next thing, that new season. That God so I have to position myself for the next thing. Right. God has for you. Listen to Job. I never knew this scripture was here. But uh, Job is all about the new thing God's going to do in 2015. I, I had no idea that about that and Job. Wow, I can't wait to see this text. But listen to Job chapter 17, verse 9. The righteous keep moving forward. Wow. Man, when I read that, I was like, whoa. Okay, so what is God saying? He's saying this. He's saying, we... Yeah, you, you, really? You're just going to read a portion. In, uh, what translation you're reading from, I have no idea. Let me read from that section of uh, Job. In fact, let me make sure I've got something in the context here. Um, okay, so Job is speaking starting at chapter 16, verse 1. Okay, good. So Job is speaking in this text. We'll go to 17, verse 1. Job says, My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me, and my eyes and my eye dwells on their provocation. Lay down a pledge for me uh, with you. Who is there who will po- put up security for me? Since you have closed their hearts to understanding, therefore you will not let them triumph. He who informs against his friends to get a share of their property, the eyes of his children will fail. He has made me a byword of the peoples, and I am one before whom men spit. My eye has grown dim from vexation, and all my members are like a shadow. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent stirs himself up against the godless. Yet the righteous holds to his way. That's how that phrase actually works, very close to what's going on in the Hebrew there. And he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. But you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. My days are past, my plans are broken off, the desires of my heart. They make uh, make night into day, the light they say is near to the darkness." If I hope for Sheol as my house, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father, and and to the worm, my mother or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? Yeah, when you read that, uh, that was all of chapter 17, by the way. When you read Job in context, it's not saying, oh, the righteous, they go forward because that's, you know, 2015. You know, you got to be different at the end of it than you were at the beginning. That's what Job is trying to say there. Yeah. No, not at all. If we are righteous, we don't get to stop. (laughs) What is this man saying? Everything, it's like... Every passage he touches, it turns into mold. Wow. Do you know I want to stop sometimes? Sweetheart, do you want to stop sometimes? Huh? Come on, Usley. Haven't we all? Hmm? Even today, as some of you come into church, maybe you're thinking, man, gosh, 2014 was horrible. (laughs) It was the worst year ever. Well, maybe it was. My role is not to come and pat you on the back and say, oh, it's okay, poor baby. Pastor's role is not that role. Pastor's role is to help you move forward from that. 
move into that place. Jesus could have said to Peter, poor baby, you didn't get any fish last night. (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. I shouldn't have told you to go back out there now. (laughs) No, he didn't back down. He didn't back down from the directive that he gave to Peter. And right here in God's word, he's telling us, look, if you're righteous, you have to keep moving forward. That's not what Job 17 says. Man, I wish I had an option to not do that. Not my option. We've got to keep moving forward. We can't stop or we'll miss our opportunity. Ecclesiastes 3.1, again, there's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth. For a lot of believers, there's times when we... Yeah, again, let me read the text this time. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This text isn't teaching what this man says it's saying. Why? Because he doesn't care what these passages are actually saying. He's interested in delivering the message that he wants to give. And the message he wants to give is not taught in Scripture. So he's twisting this Scripture, taking passages out of context, quoting from bizarre translations, loose translations there. A message is not a translation. It's a paraphrase. And putting the emphasis on words that don't even exist in the inspired originals. This is just just a total train wreck. And you'll notice it's all law. Do, 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 do. Nothing about what Christ has done. And it's bad law at that because this isn't even biblical law. These aren't even biblical commands that he's, he's binding these people's hearts and consciences to. They're just his own made-up imaginative laws. Oh, boy. We want God. <laughs> this is unbelievable. We want God to move us from one level to the next by prayer rather than work. So now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. I remember one time when a youth asked me this. He said, would you pray that I would have a good report card? (laughs) I think my son asked me that one time. Oh, well, I'm talking. No, I'm not talking about you. So I asked him, I said, well, did you do your homework? Did you pay attention in class? Did you study for your tests? His answer was, well, no. So I said, well, then, rather than praying for a good report card, let's pray for the best report card you can have given the circumstances. (laughs) Why? Because if I just pray that he gets the best report card he's ever had and he hasn't done the work that's necessary to achieve it, then I'm undermining his growth. 
I'm more than happy that he gets the best grades he can given that set or that situation. I think that's fair. But I don't think it's fair to just say, oh, yeah, you don't need to do the work. And see, so many times we just pray to God, change my life. But we don't want to do the work necessary to make the changes. God wants to move us all, you, all of us in this room, into new levels in our lives. And the purpose of each new... Again, uh, scripture, please, in context, I want to see that in black and white in the biblical text. New level is for us to grow and become more of what God intends for us to become. But here's the thing. There's always going to be challenges to that growth. There are always going to be challenges that are going to try and make us stop or to take shortcuts. And trust me, most people love shortcuts. They love shortcuts. I made a list. We take shortcuts to buy things on credit cards. When we should have waited until we got the cash. Okay, so if somebody's done that, are you going to tell them they need to repent and to be forgiven because of what Christ has done for them on the cross? I can't tell you how many people in my lifetime I've had to minister to in my financial seminars that are over their heads in debt because they didn't want to wait. They didn't. You see, the thing is, is that every single human being is over his head in debt to God because of their sin. Are you going to tell them about the one who took their debt, their trespasses upon himself and bled and died for them so that they can be completely pardoned for their debt to God? They want to do what needed to be done to accomplish their goal without going further into debt. We take shortcuts on our homework by not doing it. And then we blow the exam and we're like, whoa, what happened? You know, we come home to our parents. Well, I don't know what happened. We try to take shortcuts in growing with God only to find we really remain baby Christians all our lives. And it's hard to help people that want to give up or who want to take shortcuts all the time. It's hard to help them. You try and you try and you come back months later, they haven't changed a thing. They've stopped trying or they're trying to do something else another way. They're not trying to do it God's way. So my, next, my question to all of us today is this. What's the next level that you want to go to in an area of your life? And if this is what you're hearing at your church, run. No proper distinction of law and gospel. No ability to rightly handle a biblical text. Just burdening you down with nothing but man-made laws. No forgiveness of sins, even this is horrifying. And are you willing to do it God's way? Let me give you an example. The widow with a little oil. How many of you remember this this story? She had two sons that were going to be, they were going to be made slaves. They were going to be taken away from her. And she goes to the man of God and she says, what am I going to do? See, she wants the quick fix. She wants the shortcut. She wants something to just change. You know, you, you, you can make it happen. Just pray for me. Uh, she needed a miracle, and she got it. He says, well, whoa, wait a minute. No, here's the deal. What do you have in the house? She says, I have a little oil. 
Oh, great, a little oil. This is really going to help. Huh? How much oil do you have? About this much. <laughs> well, that's not going to help your kids. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a couple of containers, you know, and, and go in the room. I want you to start pouring out the oil. <laughs> She's got to be standing there going, you are cracked, man. You, you're nuts. Well, she's looking at these two bigger containers. She got a little bit of oil. How many of you know in your right? Yeah, let me read the text because all of the stuff you're adding to the text, it's not there. This woman needed a miracle. She got it. Uh-huh. Second Kings chapter four. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons shall live on the rest. That's a miracle. It's not like she was coming looking for the quick fix. Who was the one who got her into debt in the first place? It was her husband, and he died. And she needed something to happen right there, right now. And you know what God did? God did something right there, right now, all as a gift, totally miraculous. Totally. Even the pots that she had, all the vessels she had, she had to borrow them. Man, this this guy is... Unbelievable. And she had enough left over for to, to pay the creditors and for her and her sons to live on the rest. Total miracle. Right mind, you're looking at going, it's not going to work. Hey, wait, I just fished all night. There are no fish. I am a fisherman. I know there are no fish. Yeah, that's not in this text from Second Kings. And I find it fascinating you're not actually reading the text. That tells me a lot about you. Now, go back out there. The man of God says, go in there now and start pouring. Well, she obeyed. And through her obedience, what happens? Uh, No, it's not through her obedience. (laughs) Who is the one who caused the oil to flow? It wasn't her. That was a miracle from God himself. Something remarkable takes place because she starts pouring into these containers and she's beginning to see there's a miracle taking place here. Hey, you know what? If I keep doing this, I'm going to be way better off than I am today. What are you talking about? Hello? If I start doing this now and I continue to do it, Sustain this effort. Don't quit. Don't stop. 
As a matter of fact, she went so far as to look at her son and say, son, wait a minute, these, these things are almost filled here. I need you to go get some more containers. I really wonder how many times she asked him to do that. Because he went out and he came back and he says, there are no more containers. He must have been out already in the city gathering containers before. Did you read the text? All the containers were in the house prior to the oil starting flowing because they shut the door. It's in the text. Just read it. For that, because now he goes out and he says there's no more containers. Now, here's the thing. The man of God did not decide what level her life was going to be lived at. He didn't look at her and say, hey, by the end of today, instead of living at this level, you could be at this level. He just said, here's what I want you to do. And in that action, she showed that she believed the word of the Lord through the prophet. That's what she showed. She did it by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 points out. By faith, the people in the Old Testament did the things that, she, that they did. That would include this woman. She goes to Elisha, the prophet, the man of God. She needs help. The man of God gives her a word from the Lord, and she believes. She decided to take it to another level herself. And she made the decision. She chose what level of life she was going to live at. Am I going to live at a two? Oh, this is horrible. This, I mean, I'm seriously getting really frustrated right now. Two container level? Am I going to live at a 10 container level? And she decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take everybody's container. <laughs> and I don't care where they're living because I'm going to be the one who has all the containers full. Are you getting the drift of the story here? No, I'm not, because you haven't actually properly handled it, nor did you read it from the biblical text. See, the man of God, God himself, they're not the ones who made the decision for her on what level she was going to live at. It was her choice to decide. What level are you willing? No, ma madam, it's not good. This is horrible. Horrible. This is terrible. Willing to choose. You want a little bit of improvement? You want a great improvement? You want to be at another level? How many of you want to be at another level, you know, a year from now? Anybody? And this text from 2 Kings chapter 4 has nothing to do with you living up to another level at the end of this year. No, not at all. There's no promise here. There's no something. And, and as the widow did go thou and do likewise at the beginning of 2015, thus saith the Lord. This text is not about that at all. Or are we all just sitting here, hey, man, I'm in church again today. <laughs> How many of you want to see this church at another level yeah. by the end of 2015? Because there's nothing saying that if we're unhappy, we can't be happy. There's nothing saying that if we have bad relationships, we can't have good relationships. There's nothing saying that if your company isn't making money, that it couldn't be making money. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more 
abundantly. Love that verse of scripture. Yeah, out of context, and uh, the hireling Jesus is referring to are the false teachers there. Yeah, read it in context. By the way, in order to read that one in context, you have to go to John chapter 9, verse 1, and then keep reading, and you'll realize, oh, it's not saying at all what all these people who just quote that that verse out of context are making it say. But notice the key word. Does anybody know what the key word is? The key word isn't abundance. The key word is might. Might. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. You see, we live where we live because that's what we've chosen to accept. What? You don't have to accept where you're at today as the ultimate goal of life from God. You can choose to keep pushing it to a new level, a new dimension with God. Right now. Right this minute. Right where you're seated. You can make that choice. Because whatever we want in life... So if if you're you're not where you want to be, it's because you haven't made the choice to be somewhere else. Wow. This is unbelievable. This is not a biblical teaching. I don't know what this is. Catch this now. This is a great retweet, okay? Whatever we want in life is a choice. If you want it, it's up to you to choose whether or not you're going to go get it. I'm not going to choose it for you. You're going to make that decision. As a matter of fact... Right now, you are one choice away from a new beginning. Just one choice away. Wow. Not Christian doctrine, not Christian sanctification. Yeah, wow. From a new beginning. So how serious are you? What are you willing to do? What, What price are you willing to pay? Sometimes we don't want to hear about that. We just want the uplifting thing. But the truth of the matter is, you know, if you're on this launch pad and you, you want to get out into the ether of heaven, into where God is really operating in your life, then there's... You want to get out into the ether of heaven where God is really operating. And which passage of Scripture says God's really operating out in the ether? I'd like to see that text, please. Some things that we've got to do. Number one, quickly. Number one. Embrace the Bible as absolute truth. Now, I agree. The Bible is absolute truth. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is truly the Word of God. But what you've done to it has made God's Word null and void because you are not rightly handling it. What's the point of having an infallible, inspired word from God if you're not going to pay attention to actually what it says, but make it say things that it doesn't say? Let me say that again. I believe more than anything, we have to embrace the Bible as the absolute truth of God. Let me me bring it back into the analogy of the rocket ship. Every rocket ship, if it's going to have a successful launch, if it's going to get out into space, it's got to have fuel. A car that's going down the road, it cannot go down the road without fuel. 
And in order to move to each new thing with God, we must base our movement on God's word. Let me say that again. In order to move into each new thing with God, not new things you want, the things God wants in your life, then it has to be based on moving in God's word. Why? Because Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 says this, But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, and that would mean that you need to not do what the devil does and twist God's word and make it void by wrongly handling it and making promises for God that he never made. But that's exactly what you're doing, isn't it? You know, hand me my Bible down there, will you? You say, oh, you have your iPad with you. Well, no, I brought my Bible. I brought my Bible because I have had this Bible, this same Bible, since the day I got saved. 1978. 36 years. It's been rebound. I've even got a rubber band around it right now. I've got papers in it. I've got extra papers in it. I've got notes. i got things. And, and here's the thing. I believe that there is a famine today in the knowledge of God. Yep. And you, sir, are one of those starving children of this famine. Yes. Now, with all due respect, I'm a firm believer in pointing out certain things. Like, I'm going to give you three. I'm dealing with number one right now. <laughs> Okay? And we need those things. But they must all find their foundation in the Word of God. Listen, He's given us 1,189 chapters, 800,000 words, 66 books written by 40 Holy Spirit inspired authors. (laughs) It's the best selling book of all time. If you want to move into God's new place, how many of you want to move into God's new place? God's new place. You guys are not, you're like, man, I don't know, man. How many of you want to move into God's new place? And you want to start today? Yeah, and where in this inspired text are you going to point me to in context that said that God's going to move me into a new place? Today, amen? You want to start today. If you want to move into God's new place, it's imperative that we embrace his word. As the truth. Amen. Why? Because you can build your life on every principle found in this book. That's right. You can discover. Yeah, it's as if you think the whole book is nothing but laws and principles rather than also things to believe and to trust. What God wants to say to you. But boy, you know what that takes, don't you? It means we have to open it. And we actually have to get in it. And we actually have to read some of the words and we have. That's weird because you haven't even modeled that for these people during your sermon of all things. To allow it. We have to choose to allow it to speak into our lives. So number one, you got to have the fuel. The rocket can't get off without the fuel. Number two, nurture and protect your mind. 
That's the control room of the launch. Yeah, see, you can't launch unless you apply these principles in order, which are never laid out in this order in Scripture. But, uh, you know, Patrick Andre, he's, uh, he's, he's discovered these principles in their respective orders, and this is the thing that will launch you into the new thing that God's wanting to do for you, despite the fact there isn't any biblical text that talks about any of that. You cannot have a successful launch without what? You got to have something, somebody in the control room that knows, hello, what's going on. They, they are focused on the mission. You see, your mind is a garden and you decide what grows in it. Yeah, in your garden, lots and lots of strange, bizarre weeds, not good doctrinal growth, you know. Your mind is a special gift from God, and he wants to use it to help you and I move in to that new level. It can store, potentially, it can store one, get this, 100 trillion thoughts. And it's a tool that God wants to use. Colossians 3.2, though, says this, and set your minds. You know what that set is? It's like taking a... again. Are you going to read any passages in context? That's what you're supposed to be doing. A a, a post and putting it in the ground. And when they talk about setting it, they're talking about putting concrete around the bottom of it. So it cannot move. So set your minds and keep them set on what is above. The higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. Look, we can't stop thoughts from approaching us. But the wrong kind of thoughts, if they're allowed in, can certainly take us off track and keep us right where we are today. I had to choose to go back to college. I wasn't ready to go back, but I had to choose. I made a choice. No, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to move forward. And the way I'm going to move forward is I'm going back to college. We're asked to spend time with him so we can understand his, his thoughts and that our mind can be renewed daily. We've got to keep our minds in control, in sync with the Word of God. And the third thing is this. You ready? Speak the right things. Speak the right things. Number one, you've got to have the fuel. You've got to have... Mm, yeah, speak the right things. Are you related to the Word of Faith heretics? have the control room, but you've got to have... It doesn't get off the launch pad unless somebody pushes the button, unless there is ignition. There has to be ignition. Solomon was the richest man who ever lived, but he taught this principle in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Catch this. You choose. Yeah, and that's not talking about speaking over your future. It's talking about how you use your words and how you relate to other people. Wow. Say choose. You and I are the ones who are in control of whether or not we're going to get off the launch pad. That's right. If we go to prayer every night, pray every night, pray every night, but we are afraid to move forward and speak the right things, have the fuel inside of us and control our mind, we're going to have a very difficult time being changed into that new... So these are the three commandments that you must obey if you want to have, you know, get, get off the launch pad and get into the ether where God's really doing things. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Three commandments that um, uh, that if you do these things, God's supposedly promising you something if you obey those commandments that uh, Patrick Andre discovered. Nowhere are these commandments given in order to have you get off the launch pad to make 2015 a greater year so that you can launch into the ether where God's really at work. This is a false teaching from beginning to end. It's not biblical at all. Dimension man or woman by the end of 2015. Your words are powerful. Cue sappy music. That's an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now fluttering down and descending upon the people in the audience, getting ready to do business with them as they decide, as they choose to obey these three principles so that they can get off the launch pad and and you know the time is now for you know for this great change that's going to take place in their lives in the year 2015 and they just need to make that decision right now so the holy spirit is descending in order to help people make those decisions and and to you know choose to you know launch into the ether where god is really at work and faith to move forward catch this forward in faith yes. say forward in faith Being able to move forward in faith, listen, it resides in your spirit, but it's ignited by your words. Yeah, um, quoting a proverb out of context doesn't actually make this theology true. Speak the right things. Don't say God doesn't care about me. Don't say I can't do this or that. Say what God says about your life. I am more than a conqueror. I am healed. Now we get to the affirmations, Joel Osteen style, which again is not a biblical concept, not what biblical Christians do. This is Stuart Smalley. I'm the head, not the tail. There's nothing wrong with speaking what God says about you. Some people may think you're funny. I'm not saying you have to go walk up to every person. By the way guy at the grocery store, I want you to know I'm the head and not the tail. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about speaking to yourself to begin with. Building yourself up as David did in his word, in the power of his word. Get back to the word of God and speak what God says. Stop speaking what you are seeing and say what God is saying about your life and about your future. The three commandments that you have to uh, obey in order to be launched into the ether. What has God been saying about you? Well, on your connection card today, you know in your heart what it is that God wants to do. Oh, I I do? But we have this thing. If you get out your connection card, I want you to look at it here. It says in the second box down, it says, I choose to make 2015 my right time season. Wow. Yeah, wow, you're so powerful. This is just a fancy schmancy um Christian-ish uh form of um setting a new year's resolution. And to take advantage of every opportunity God places before me. And look at this commitment. I will not be the same. I will not be the same. I'm telling you I believe that 
your year can be a year of tremendous positive change in your life. That 2015 is going to be a year that you... Yeah, let's check back with the folks at Summit Church, you know, in February and see how this is working out for them. You and all of us can see ourselves changed and no one will be able to walk up to us at the end of the year and say, you know what, you're the same person that I met at the beginning of the year. If they say that, please throw up right in their face, okay? (laughs) God's calling all of us, listen carefully, God's calling all of us to get up from where... To repent and to be forgiven, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For salvation is a free gift, it's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God by grace through faith. Where we are. Get up from where we are and move to a higher level. And here's the thing. I believe he wants to challenge us to that every day. Why do you believe that? What biblical text leads you to believe that? Not just the first Sunday of every year. And my message to you today is it's time. And if I had to say it again, if I was back here next week, you know what I would say? It's time. And if I was here the third Sunday of the month, you know what I would say? It's time. Because it's not good enough to just have a message on the first Sunday of every year that says, oh, I'm pumped up. I'm re- Yeah, the law. All law. Man-made law. Man-made commandments. All heavy, heavy, heavy-handed law. No gospel. Ready to go? No. God says, you, there's always more, there's always more, there's always more. There's going to be something next week, and there's going to be something the week after that. There's going to be something next month and the month after that. And you can't get into next year until you finish this year. So go ahead and work on this year. So God's calling all of us to get up from where we are and move to a higher level, but it only happens by choice. Choosing to serve Christ on a day-to-day basis. Choosing his fuel, choosing his mind. How again does this serve Christ when none of these commandments are actually found in Christ's words? And you never even got to the punchline about Peter and the boat and all that kind of stuff. I read the whole text. You just stopped halfway and then made it about something other than what it is about. How does that serve Jesus again? I don't understand that. Choosing his words. All right, so there was the It's Time sermon. Clearly, it's time for the folks at Summit Church to find a different church. (sighs) Wow, that was just awful, just absolutely awful. Notice, all imperative, no indicative. Every text out of context, every text twisted to fit the message he was bringing, but no text actually taught the message that he was bringing. That's the sure sign you're dealing with a Bible twister and how oh, he just burdened these people and didn't unburden them at all. Never told them about their great Savior, Jesus Christ, who bled and died for them and the great hope that we have of eternal life because of the gift that he's given us in pardoning us of our sins by dying on the cross for them. Nah, Jesus, I mean, he was kind of sort of mentioned, but he was twisted too to talk, you know, to basically be saying to Peter, you know, hey, dude, you know, you know, You got to do a new thing, you know, whatever. And this is what passes for preaching in so many churches today. 
There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing biblical about it. And it doesn't matter if they're quoting verses. If you're quoting them out of context and making them about you, you might as well just send the people to hell now because that's where they're going to end up because they're not trusting Jesus at all. They're not being taught sound doctrine. They're being taught something that is nothing but a works-based religion of commandments discovered by the, uh, the pastor, but not actually revealed in God's word. Wow. All right, what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>